Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Smell Test. What's up, Jess? Hey, I am so stressed out. Okay, go. <laughs> yeah, I think we both are. So it's also spooky season right now, uh, but spooky season is comorbid with the beginning of the fall term for both of us. Mm -hmm. And also we're both working women who hold multiple jobs. So we're a little stressed, but we're getting through it. So let's get through it. So this is the <laughs> weekly podcast where we review beloved movies from our past to see, see whether they today as of spooky season 2023 still hold up. And what we mean by that is we're looking to see if it holds up culturally, ethically, humorously, and through our own personal gut checks. So um, Jess is a lawyer. So Jess wants me to say this next part. This podcast solely represents <laughs> the opinion of the podcasters and is meant for entertainment purposes only. Sometimes I will say very, we will call people cunts and it just happens. So it's not defamation. It's an opinion. It's an opinion. <laughs> and so I'm Diane. Uh, I am, as of recording right now, I'm 36, uh, I guess 36 and a half. I was born February 1987. It's currently September 2023. Um, lived a a, a wide uh, life so far. I don't know what wide life means, but I've lived <laughs> qu quite, a, quite a lifetime so far. Um, but as of right now, I'm a PhD student, so I look at a lot of stuff from like an equity slash ethics lens. So when I'm watching rewatching movies, that's what I'm that's the framework I'm I'm viewing it through. So what about you, Jess? Hi, I am. Well, I want to say I'm stressed because of this specific movie, but I <laughs> I am. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I was all deep and philosophical with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am 41 years old and I am originally from Massachusetts. So um, if that gives anything to the point, I am an attorney uh, and I am also a um, adjunct instructor of several different kinds of ethics or disability law classes. And I come from the lens of someone who's looking at things through a legal scope, but I'm also coming from a space that I have a very fucked up sense of humor. And that often <laughs> shapes as much of my ability to look at these movies from an ethical lens as, uh, you know, the legal side of things. Well, I think you just kind of made a good point, an interesting point that you have a dark sense of humor I have what I would call gallows humor, which is the same. So it's like kind of like you 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 make dark jokes to get through stuff. So that's kind of where we're at. But at the same time, I think in the past, because we're on episode 11 now, I think in the former 10 episodes we've seen, some movies, the, the quote unquote dark humor maybe isn't actually that funny or good. And maybe what wasn't even that great at the time. So, um, so yeah. So when we hear something that relies on like racism as the punchline or sexism as the punchline or being a fucking pervert as the <laughs> punchline, right. that's different than dark humor, I think. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And none of that applies today because there's nothing funny no, and except for the laugh nervous, the church giggles <laughs> I get when I don't want to talk about. So um I think it's so funny you're stressed, and I was like, yeah, being an adult, but <laughs> yeah, are, life is terrible. 
So I told her that I fell in a parking lot today. I'm not having a great day, but it's mostly because I'm stressed about this fucking movie. You're just so distracted (laughs) by this film. The film in question is The Changeling, which is a 1980 Canadian supernatural horror film directed by Peter Madak. And it starred, starred George C. Scott, Trish Van Devere, and Melvin Douglas, you know, nothing but the A-list power players at the time. So the plot, so last week, Jess, I just want you to brace yourself. Last week, you said it was going to get hard to get through this. So just hold on, because I'm going to start telling you about the plot. So we're getting into it. I'm just trying to be trauma-informed. The plot <laughs> follows an esteemed New York City composer who really relocates to Seattle, Washington, where he moves into a mansion that is questionable in a lot of different ways so the changeling i'm gonna turn over you tell me you were traumatized by this clearly so tell me about how this movie made it into your life and uh yeah let's start there how did you end up watching this and what was your initial reaction because whenever you watched it that was the first time and then whenever you watched it this week was the second time yeah. Right. Only two times I've ever watched this Got movie. Yeah. Probably last. Uh yep. okay. So, so the Akuris, shout out to my my three chosen sisters. Um, so when I was growing up, I um my best friend from like seventh grade on, uh, who I'm still friends with today, Melissa, um, she I used to stay at their house a lot, uh, like a lot, a lot. So she had, she was, there were a brother and three sisters. The older brother was, he wasn't around much. So the three sisters and I hung out a lot. And um, Jen, the little one is still, she is a actual active listener to our podcast. So shout out Jen. Jen. So they used to watch horror movies with me a lot. And so the first one that they, I think exposed me to is the exorcist. And I am a wimp. I can now kind of, I now like horror movies, but like then I don't know if I like, I'm sure I didn't hold in my wimpiness. Actually, when I told Melissa, I was watching this movie. She just laughed at me and talked about how scared I was at this movie but we would go to the video store and we would rent movies and whether and it was blockbuster and whether it was like a slasher like we watched april fool's day three together watch the exorcist together a hundred times all those kind of movies um but the one that like is the scarring one for my life is the changeling so why this is so scarring was so scarring to me is first i hard body believe in ghosts we already have revealed in the craft episode that I'm witchy and like full, full out believe that ghosts exist. And I feel like this is was the scariest movie. And I still maintain the scariest movie I've ever seen. Uh, but this time I slept. So I guess it affected me. Less. <laughs> but uh, there, this was the movie that I think is the scariest movie, period. How old are you? So I would have been like a teenager. I don't remember. Jen's going to have to write in the comments of whether we she watched it with us because Mo- Melissa and I are the same age. Amanda is like two years younger. And then Jen, I think, is three or four years younger. So I want to say I was a teenager. I remember like sitting on the Acuri's couch. I remember being scared out of my mind. 
So um, I live I lived next to the Akuris for from 13 to 16. So I spent a lot of time at their house during that time. So I would guess it was around then. Okay. Yeah. So if you had to say an age, well, 13 to 16. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. My brain. Um, okay. So um, let me ask you this. At the time you watched it, did you know that it was loosely based on a true story? No, absolutely not. D- did you know that before I just told you that? Only because I saw something about a park, but I didn't know anything else besides that short thing that I text you. Okay. Tell us. Why? Well, I, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> but it is based on... It is based on a ride on events that a writer uh, named Russell Hunter claimed to experience when he was living in it in the uh, Chessman Park neighborhood in Denver, Colorado. So um, admittedly, I didn't look into that. You always come really prepared with the trivia. I couldn't. I couldn't, I couldn't um, do it. So I won't get into that too much because. I mean, I, I'm not going to research it right now, but also I don't think we need to speak more this in the, uh, we don't need to make this more real than it is. I'm, tra- I'm trying to be trauma informed. So yeah, I had it's never- so funny because Diane told me, you know what, this is probably going to be really cathartic to you because Matt yeah. saw his trauma movie and he was better. It did guess, not happen. I was about to say, I guess Matt's just stronger than you and that's okay. <laughs> or maybe he was afraid of fake things like leprechauns and yes, I'm afraid of real yeah, things like no. ghosts. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I'll get in. Let's get into this movie. So I've, Jess, I got to tell you, I've never heard of this before you mentioned it. The only film I'm familiar with is one called Changeling that has Angelina Jolie in it. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of this movie. So- I was, it was a total surprise to me to watch this. I also saw this film pretty recently listed on uh, one of my favorite upcoming directors. His name's Ty West. He gave a list of his top five favorite horror films. And this was one of them. This was his the first on his list. So I got really excited when I saw that. So as I watched it for the first time, I'm watching it as a 36-year-old who's been a lover of horror, lover of spooky films my whole life at this point. And it had a few key moments that have been that have become some of my favorite elements of horror films that I really believe um that this film was likely the like the seeds of where that type of style certain conventions began so from my perspective i was watching it as appreciating it for the influence it's had on a lot of my subsequent favorite films so so we're trying to do this in a trauma-informed way it's okay (laughs) i i have mention number one and i also will say i do believe in ghosts too um i guess I don't, I don't feel as scared, but I haven't in, encountered a, male, a malevolent one. So okay. maybe that would change. I don't know if the ghosts in this were necessarily malevolent. They were to the right people, but we'll get into it. So 
first horror convention this film opens up one of the best horror conventions that i love is when a film features a real life horror to set the tone so what i mean by that is like a real tragedy that could happen to anyone in real life so it, it makes you feel this emotional response because it's, it's something that very, that has happened to several people. So it's not like Freddy Krueger where like a, like a sassy burn man comes out and slashes you where you're like, well, that's not real. This starts with a very real horrific depiction of, by the way, everybody, this episode is going to be full of spoilers. And like, maybe watch the movie first because it seems like no one has ever heard of it every Let's time. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's so watch say, everybody, first. if you are interested in our analysis on this one, pause right now. We love you. Go watch it. It's on Peacock. Um, I'm sure other platforms as well. Go watch it and then come back. Yeah. All right. Great. So if you just came back, welcome back. So now we're going to talk. <laughs> the first convention first thing that happens this professor he's a professor he's a composer this dude's wife and child were just straight up uh killed by a a car Mm -hmm. um in what looked like colorado ish to me yeah they were going on a ski trip and um the car like broke down so they were pushing the car out of the way He goes to call for help. They get to a payphone. He goes to call for help. The wife and the daughter are playing a snowball fight while they wait for him. And then two different truck tries to avoid a car, another car. And then in doing that hits their broken down car and the wife and the daughter are right in front of it. And and I will say about the cinematography of this movie is fucking fantastic because even though even though it's like old looking it doesn't give you that like the effects like i was like that boy really got drowned like that the effects in this movie are phenomenal and it really looked like this car flew over these two oh it was awful yeah they're they this film really set the tone um early on with that horrific thing that happens Mm -hmm. um and i also agree that the cinematography is very good now, when I see that move, see that particular scene, some of my most contemporary favorite horror films, such as Midsummer and Megan, have similar conventions that they start with. Um, so I I'm viewing it from a oh, ooh, wow, like that is horrific, but I've seen that before. So right. as a 13 to 16-year-old seeing that, that in general is traumatizing the witness yeah. on film. And then we get into, so this man moves to Seattle, Washington, which I just sidebar on that. The city of Seattle, Washington is featured quite frequently in this uh, movie because that's where it's technically based. Um, But it's like never raining, but like Seattle, Washington rains. I live in Portland, Oregon. I'm in Portland, Oregon right now. And one of, Uh, The things that we like to boast about here, I do, because I looked it up before, is that Portland gets like 17 more days of sun versus Seattle or something. But it seems like every time a film is, Megan is also um, based in Seattle, 
it seems like every time a film is based in Seattle, they don't cover that aspect, which is always just kind of funny to me. And it's weird because when we watched The Craft, it was raining so much that I thought it took place in Seattle, but it took place in L.A. And it took me like half the movie to realize it. Yeah. Because it was pouring. Like there are things we associate with spaces that would be like a really easy way to show that that's where they are. Right. Yeah. Um, And so... So anyway, so he's like trying to escape his past. He goes to become a an instructor. Um, this is George C. Scott's character who is named J- John Russell. So he's a composer. So he's like really famous ish, I guess. He's trying to. Um, so he's he's settling in to teach at this college, and he's essentially. Um, He's trying to find a place to live. <laughs> so that's where um, we end up, where he ends up meeting um, this woman named Claire Norman, who rents out. She's from the historical society. I I got to say, I don't really understand this part. Like, why is the historical society suddenly renting out a mansion to this dude? Like, is it because he's a professor? Like, What's the deal here? But initially he ends up renting out a, a, a haunted mansion that's been vacated for 12 years. And then some weird shit starts to happen. So lots of creepy shit um, starts to happen. Um, you know, he can hear voices. Uh, he sees ghosty things. Um it starts with the pipes banging. So in the middle of the night, he heard like pipes banging in a very rhythmic tone. And so that's how it kind of starts. And then we always hear whispers. And in the beginning, in the like the in that really great cinematography that we're talking about before, like there are parts where we hear a little whisper. And as a viewer, I'm unsure if he also hears it or if we're cued in because we're the viewers. And it makes you feel a little more immersed because I'm not sure because he doesn't really react to the kind of whispery sounds in the background. But we know it's there and it builds tension as a watcher. Um, so I have to say, I'm already making the observation. So I watched it. Uh, admittedly, I watched it about a week ago already. So um, I'm trying to remember some stuff. I watched it after. Um, a long day, actually. Uh, I hosted a little get together. My husband just turned forty-seven, so I hosted. Hey, happy birthday, Jan! Happy birthday! And so I, uh, after that, we watched this film. So I was pretty exhausted. So, um, but what I think is interesting is you are describing it like with the detail of someone who is very acutely traumatized by some of these. <laughs> I am. You are like, you're literally like, well, you know, as the audience member, I don't know that. And that built tension. And so I love that you, you, you're aware of that. Cause I was definitely, I will say, I watched it a lot as a, as a, like for the one in film studies is known as autourism. So I was looking for certain shots. So he's like walking upstairs and it's like creepy and the use of shadows and stuff is really creepy or a window breaks and you're like, wow, it's like a cool shot because they filmed the window breaking, but you can't see anything breaking the window. And so it for a 1980 film, it has a lot of 
parts that just build up a lot of tension and use a lot of, I would call low tech techniques to scare the shit out of you, which I think are some of the most effective scary movies. So I definitely see why you were horrified by this. Um, I kept looking at my husband being like, are you scared too? Or am I like remembering my fear from my childhood? Like, which is happening? And he's like, "Eh, it's creepy. But he comes from those kind of family. Like they would watch horror movies at five. They would go and see a horror movie in a movie theater. Like that's like the, like horror movies are part of that family's blood. Like when we get to Christmas, we're going to have to watch Krampus. Because yeah. I made them buy it. Be- well, I made the I make them watch it every single year. We watch it as a part of our like tradition because they bought it on my Amazon account and I was pissed at them. <laughs> but like that was like, oh, we got to watch a Christmas movie. Let's find a horror Christmas movie. That's just their vibe. So, so he de- he doesn't scare easy. I don't even know. We'll talk to he's going to talk to us next week. We'll find out if he finds any movie actually scary. I don't know. Well, what's interesting, you just mentioned um, Krampus and we figured out on our own that we both watch Krampus during the holidays. So I'm also (laughs) someone who watches fair amount of horror films during the holiday season. January is kind of a catch all for the like subpar horror films that come out in um, in the theaters. So I I do always appreciate that time of year. so yeah so i am an appreciator and lover of horror um have i told the story of how i became very unafraid of horror films when i was a kid no okay so i may have been trying to save this for a freddy krueger episode which you may have noticed we mentioned we were going to watch the second one i really want to watch the first one deeper into october so stay tuned but one of my first experiences with a horror film was my dad took us to a drive-in movie theater to watch one of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. It was like four or five at that point. I couldn't tell you, but it was definitely at the point where Freddy Krueger became a caricature of himself, okay. more comedic, uh, but it was also very gruesome. So there's some scenes in there that I could probably describe with a lot of detail that scared the shit out of me and why they scared the shit out of me. Um, but what happened was I was like maybe five, maybe four or five. And my dad, like, I remember we got scared. We're at the driving theater. We got so scared that my dad was like, all right, go play. There's a playground. He's like, go play. We played. We went, when we got home, my dad told my mother, show them how to make blood like he was like kind of annoyed <laughs> but my dad's like a very um we won't get too much into my father but my father is a very um what you call like a rational person mm-hmm. so he's like very kind of like it's not real like get over it yeah. so my mom went to the kitchen brought us mixed a bunch of not a bunch she mixed a little cap full of corn syrup with red food coloring she goes, look, doesn't that look like blood now? And then she put it like on her arm and she's like, see, doesn't it look like blood. Taste it, taste it. And so like it totally demystified okay. films for me that it, it just kind of, I think, changed a lot of how I saw stuff because <laughs> I was basically, basically they're like, you dumb fucks. Like, it's not real. <laughs> 
But ghosts are. So yeah. and, <laughs> right. you know, and ghosts, ghost-based films are some of my scariest. So this film in general, um basically he starts working at this school after experiencing this trauma. That's going okay. He's he's hearing a bunch of shit in his house. It's freaking him out. So then he's like, maybe I should look into this. Meanwhile, someone in the historical society who's not Claire, not the person who um, rented the place out to him, but someone else there is acting a little shady when he's like trying to inquire about like, why was this house empty? And I'm hearing shit. And so Minnie Huxley. Okay, thank you. Um, So then that sets off the tone where um it just it kind of becomes i would say like midway through it becomes more of a mystery mm-hmm. combined yeah. with the horror film for sure for sure um and so it, it then he john and claire kind of go off on well john starts trying to figure out what's happening through a few different means which i'll get into uh, but Claire's joining him. And so they start doing what I essentially like saw as like the romanticization of um, research, which I was like, yeah, like, like yeah, nerd love. You're like your local library can help you out. You can go mm-hmm. find property records. Like, so essentially he's just spending all this fucking time with Claire doing research on the house to figure out what the fuck happened there. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's this weird ass senator senator joseph carmichael that they keep featuring and the reason why they keep featuring him is because his family owned the house or like i guess currently we're still affiliated with the house but he's like a rich senator he there's like a building called the carmichael building like he's a fucking powerful white dude and so um so then they start essentially unraveling, I would say, the connection between Senator Joseph Carmichael and what the fuck's happening in this house. Sure. So yeah. let's take it from there. Um, I don't want to make you like relive your trauma, but we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're okay. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. I got my right. strawberry basil Aurora Bora soda. I'm good. Stay um not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, but if you want to be, this shit's delicious. (laughs) And so um, we are trying to influence you. Um, So essentially, yeah, so this film just unravels as a mystery. So I'll just kind of go over some of the scenes that I think were really cool and horrifying. Um, So number one um you mentioned it already but they they full-on feature the murdering of a child yeah a disabled child right so so context wise in we start we have at this point learned that uh he hires a medium we've seen a picture of a kid in a bathtub in the reflection of a bathtub that ran on its own in a secret room in the house and now we're the the ghost is powerful enough to show him what happened to him. And they show a very, very intense murder scene of a child, which is where that banging comes from. The kid was the kid was disabled. He's pulled by his feet 
so that he, he cannot get up and he's banging the side of the bathtub. And man, I tell you, that scene, I was like, this, I don't know how they cut this scene. I don't know how they gave that kid oxygen. I don't understand how they did it. It looked so real, right? Well, I mean, back then they may have just been like, you gotta be really good at holding your breath, dude. Like I, I really, you know, if we get into it, that was probably, so I've heard some child stars describe their past and how even though you're acting these scenes out, your body doesn't know that. Yeah. So like in hindsight, like if I really thought about that, that seems even more horrifying when you realize that a young actor was enduring having to portray that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, So you mentioned the medium. So I wanted, so yes, this, he, he sees this apparition of a of a young boy being killed um but also there's another scene you mentioned the medium there's this really fucking creepy scene that features um the medium they hold a seance it's a seance scene which is a horror convention that i love i always love a good seance scene especially if they're like communicating with someone and they're like writing it down all creepy and like the woman's eyes are like glazed back and you're just like oh that's so creepy so a lot of my favorite films these days such as um insidious uh the others with nicole kidman they have very similar scenes so this one still got me i would say the seance scene um they're also it was was a great seance scene it is it's it is it's classic and it's so creepy and the fact that it was in the 80s it just gives you a more creepy vibe so they record this spirit on this audio equipment so then john's listening to it and then he starts figuring out who the young boy that was murdered is right you gonna tell him <laughs> Dum dum dum. His name is Joseph Carmichael. What? That's the name of the senator that also funds the historical society that also owns this house. Oh, he funds the historic. I did not realize yeah. that. So, is this very powerful old white man is perhaps not who he says he is? I don't know. But if you're listening to this, you should have paused by now. Um, <laughs> to watch it uh but essentially yeah it it's basically him uncovering the fact that a six-year-old disabled child was murdered and uh, uh, replaced by a healthy healthy young man from an orphanage yeah and it's wild and then they figure out is it too uh, can i say how they figure it out so they figure out that what they did, what the father did was he adopts the kid. So, so Joseph's mom dies in childbirth. So it's just dad and the kid. Joseph's mom's dad is hella rich. So he's the big money in the family. His inheritance goes a hundred percent to Joseph, meaning dad has no control over that money unless like except for him as the caretaker of Joseph. So he kills six-year-old Joseph. 
1909. And then he brings the new kid over to Switzerland. And then, oh, 1906. And then all the gap, right? Right. Um, there's like a gap and uh, s- someone else was killed in 1909. So he initially thinks it's her. Then he figures oh, yeah. out that yes. Joseph was murdered in 1906. Right. The sister dies or something like that in a car accident or something. Oh, yeah. So it was two kids. Yep. Yep. All right. Keep going. So so he brings uh, the new Joseph, the one that he adopts from the um, from the orphanage down the street to switzerland world war one breaks out they're stuck in switzerland which worked out perfectly for him because then he didn't bring joseph back to the states until he was 18 and he's been miraculously cured by the mountains of switzerland i also need to just quick correct that wasn't his sister i don't know why at some point i thought it was his sister but it was was something there was another there was like a car accident and yeah, it just says the ghost of a young girl killed outside the house. Oh, so for some reason, at, at some point, that's my bad. I got confused and thought. I don't think that, that is was- your bad. I think I thought that she was related to the family, too. But I don't think that's the case. Yeah. So, yeah. So then so then he's coming back and he may look different, but who cares? It's been a long time. Puberty, yeah. shit like that. Um, But the primary reason why he did that was money motivated because Mm -hmm. he just thought well if this guy doesn't if this kid doesn't survive all that money i lose it goes to charity if the kid goes to charity instead who wants charity to have all our money so that that's what essentially john ends up unraveling right right so so then it just kind of gets into um I don't know. Like, I think we should get into uh, talking about power and privilege and um, disability. So um, this film's interesting because it shows, which I I don't think, I don't know if that's gone away. (laughs) It really hasn't. But when you think about this is around the time that the time this all took place like even though he killed his son because he was financially motivated let's just be real there was also a time that happened around that same period and maybe about 30-ish years later where people were killed for being sickly right yeah absolutely I mean if we think about you know like in how many disabled folks were murdered in by Nazis Right. That was a huge part of World War Two by how and how the Nazi Party was shown by America because they took a lot of their stuff from American politics, Jim Crow laws and such. The whole um, sterilization movement that America did pre World War Two was an inspiration to Hitler in how he uh how he treated disabled folks. And I think it was, I just watched something the other day. So I think the number is about 267,000 uh, disabled folks were murdered because of World War II. And so it's a high number. And 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 at this point, we're thinking 1980, you know, that's before both of us were born, but not so far before both of us were born that, 
and obviously the the murder happened in the 1900s 1910s but um <clears throat> in that time period we talk a lot about how i mean that just you have a kid that's in a wheelchair and the wheelchair is a prominent part in this movie right it chases a woman down the stairs it's horrifying but <laughs> but um the this idea that like the kid was locked away he was sequestered one thing i'm not actually clear about on the movie and i guess if i were to watch again i would ask myself is the kid even like do people even know that the kid's disabled or is he just sequestered in this back third floor you know bedroom yeah because he's in a house that's filled with stairs right so he doesn't come down if his like wheelchair is up there someone would have to carry the wheelchair down so mm-hmm. there's a very good chance that kid didn't leave that little two the little bathroom and room right well there's another film a uh, pet cemetery that has a similar theme where one of the characters, I think, believe it's the mother in that has a sister who was a shut in, who was similarly disabled. And um, that plays out in different ways, but it, it's, it's interesting that back then um, disabled people who were shut ins were kind of used as a horror movie trope. Yeah. So like we're supposed to be scared of them, I guess, instead of horrified at their treatment. I would say this one shifts into trying to shift you into being horrified about this child's treatment. Mm -hmm. He was literally murdered. Right. Right. Um, But we don't really get into we get into like, oh, shitty that he got murdered. But no one really brings up the oh, and he was kind of he was kept in an attic or he was shut away. He wasn't taking care. He was neglected. Nothing about that, which. um you know i think contemporarily uh they are gonna apparently they've been talking about doing a remake of this i feel like that happens with everything. every time we talk yeah there's <laughs> every either, movie either i've suggested existing. yeah there's these except either, short know. circuit because no one wants to touch that shit <laughs> no but i mean short circuits on <clears throat> johnny fives on tiktok but um <laughs> so um so yeah, you know, if it's remade, I I would be curious, but um but yeah, I think I think there was a lot of depictions of power and privilege and white man privilege in it mm-hmm. that ne- that wasn't actually called out. Um like I'm I'm just watching it being like, "Oh, gross." Um so I'd like to shift over to that so I could talk more about that. So what was your least favorite, most favorite, and cringiest? So I think that for me, so I don't have a favorite. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe the research part that you just brought up right now. Mm-hmm. And and I do like that it, um, uh, no, I like the, the seance scene. That was good. I thought, I thought it was so, and to your point about the kids' treatment, I will say one part that was really clear about them really feeling badly for the kid is how much it physically impacted both Jonathan and Claire to listen to the kid. It wasn't like they were scared. Like she was weeping after she listened to the recording from the seance. So it was clear that they felt like very, very bad for this kid. So I guess that like those parts made it very interesting for me. And they threw a lot back. Like the kid was playing with his daughter's doll. Like they threw a lot back. And then the other part that I really like is the fact that this 
this kid who was so unpowerful in life was so powerful in death. And maybe he had 70 years to come up for it, but he spent those 70 years and fostered that onto the people who he thought deserved it. Though, I don't know, it's the senator took advantage of it, but he, it's not like he asked to be. I don't. I genuinely think the senator didn't know that his dad murdered the kid. I think he was probably fed a different story. So, but I do love that a person who was so, because when, before the end of the movie where there's like a big explosion everyone's going there's all these voices going joseph's coming joseph's coming so it's like not only is this kid who spent his whole life holed up in a way powerless now he is super powerful whatever else is in the house is obsessed with him so there's that for hated obviously i hated the dad like that drowning scene will burn in my head for the rest of my life and then the cringiest parts for me were the parts where the senator just like lived this life that he knew wasn't his and tried to defend it so much. So when that lady whose name I remembered three minutes ago, but don't remember the lady from the historical society who kind of told on him, she, I mean, told him like, hey, they're getting too close to you. They know everything. And he just tried to write them a check to get it over with. I like hated that part brought so much cringe to me in a very different way than the other movies we deal with it wasn't awkward it was like ugh, because that still happens mm -hmm. and so like that's what makes it so I'm sure that's where you're going I'll take it off a little bit um <laughs> well I gotta say um the cringiest part for me what well I guess I'll go in the same order that you just did so you went most favorite least favorite than cringiest yeah okay my most favorite was the research um in particular one of my favorite horror movie tropes is when people look through microfilm the only yeah. i guess <laughs> um <laughs> and sorry to daniel who's my librarian friend um but i always love that i love it when they look through um old newspapers and they're like oh what's that oh this person died that's so creepy that we had just seen that and i know you did last summer last week right. so right. like that's just i love that right. as a trope i love it and that had to have been one of the first times that they featured something like that in a film yeah um so my researchy brain loves that um least favorite was definitely the depiction of a murder child like it went on too long yeah um they like just show they sh and they showed the showed scene they flash back to the scene a few times which mm -hmm. was horrifying the cringiest i gotta say you were talking about how things like that woman calling um happens today still and people trying to buy stuff people off and things Something else that happens today is uh, there were two scenes in particular where so there's one where the senator's talking at some event mm -hmm. and he's not saying anything that's like super interesting. But as he's like giving the speech, all these people are like laughing to like every other word he says. Mm -hmm. And I always think. Yeah, that's what a bunch of suck-ups do in settings where they're trying to yeah. suck up to the rich, powerful white man. In a yeah. lot of situations, people are required to do that as an act of survival. So that made me cringe. Second cringe point related to that, 
John's a professor, which they only feature like very briefly. And I was more interested in that because, you know, um, academia. He shows up to class and all the because he's like technically a famous composer, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he shows up to this classroom and all these people are in it ready to hear him. And he's just like, there's 27 of you registered. And then they're like, ha ha ha. And then he's like, every time he says something, they're like, ha 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 ha. And that is how we treat. I, I would say a lot of powerful people still like um, your Elon Musk's. There's a whole vein of people. Oh, Jesus. I think he yeah. expects them to act that way. Mm-hmm. And it's just fucking gross. And yeah. so like one thing Elon Musk did was when he took over Twitter, he brought he carried a sink in and was like, let that sink in. And I just know people had to laugh or they yeah. got fired. You just know. I've it. actually investigated cases before where a person was attacked was attacked by their boss mm-hmm. because their boss because they didn't laugh at their boss's jokes. And yeah. Like, well, you're so unfriendly. You didn't even laugh at the joke. And she was like, it wasn't funny. Do yeah. I have to laugh at your jokes? So that's yeah, for sure. And well, because powerful men yep. get real big up in their feelings if they feel disrespected in any kind of way. Right. Um, I'm speaking from personal experience. So women in particular have been conditioned um to giggle a lot mm-hmm. when someone says something or pretend that we don't hear things or else we're seen as bitchy uncooperative not civil right so that's true so that just gave me a real gut feeling of ick um because i i've been in those settings and um it's tough. It's tough to deal with. Um, so I know you're horror, you're still horrified by it, but what do you think? Does it pass the smell test for today? I think it brings up a lot of the same issues we have now, just like kind of, we talked about last time that there's like greed is, is overwhelmingly the reason for evil, right? So anti-capitalism, hello. Um, but, but this overwhelming need for greed, and I, you know, I have a, I had an overwhelmingly better impression of Jonathan. I think, I, I think I let, gave him a pass because I thought that he was compassionate because he worked so hard to like, kind of figure this out for the kid. Well, or he figured it out for himself and it benefited the kid either way. I, so I do think it passes the smell test because I think the themes are the same. I think it holds for the creepiness. I think without going super high tech, it's still a very well shot movie. And I think that it stands that I am still very afraid of it. So I liked it. I did not like it. I'm just horrified by it and I'll never watch it again. Okay. Yeah. I don't think anything in it was necessarily offensive or um, so off putting that I'm like, oh my gosh, like, ugh, I don't Why ever want to watch, watch Huh? <laughs> what did she make me watch yeah or it wasn't you know it wasn't your response to how i felt about empire records (laughs) no and so uh i i really enjoyed it this was a it's a rare treat for me to find a film a horror film i haven't seen or been familiar with the story like you know some film like you mentioned the exorcist i've never actually seen it but the story's so familiar across the zeitgeist that i feel like i've seen it so this one was a, a rare treat 
Well, um, and here is a fun fact. Homeboy from this movie, Jonathan from this movie, is in The Exorcist 3, which I, since looking into this, everyone's like, The Exorcist 3 is the best Exorcist. So now I need to watch that. Oh, okay. And, and I guess he's like the primary figure in it. Okay, I was trying to figure out how I knew him. And so I was Googling him and I couldn't figure out anything. He was also 12 Angry Men. Yeah, he's in some like famous films that I actually haven't seen. So I was kind of snarky when I called them A-listers. But I guess he was pretty famous for certain films. He was Um, bad. I I do imagine that if Joseph Carmichael was alive today um in the 21st century i'd like to think that joseph would have societally been more accepted and received more support to be more visible well Um, i think one thing that would help is that we have a child like child services like when the birth certificate is made if that kid doesn't go to ever school there is systems in place yeah yeah that's a good point too i was also thinking just in terms of participation like Joseph could be TikToking all day today. Yeah, yeah, he could, and, and still have circles and a full social life despite being bedbound or homebound or whatever he was. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, thanks. So next week, you mentioned it. We're going to feature your husband Eric. What film are we watching? uh some another one that's even older than this okay night of the living dead the first one okay i think that i think that's what it is i'll look i could be wrong i think it's in black and white maybe i mean it's from 1968 it's in two weeks is that what you said no i said i don't know what i said oh i told you (laughs) i thought maybe i was wrong all right cool well thanks everybody for listening and have a great rest of your day bye